Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. And today's adventure takes us down south to Atlanta with Natasha McLeod. Did I say that right? Natasha. And you are the Senior Director of Marketing and Communications with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, but you spent some time with Live Nation. You've had an amazing adventure, which we're going to explore today, including trying some new things during this era and some of your networking things that you've done that I think are a real inspiration for everybody. But let's start with something that is very unique from all the guests we've had so far on the podcast, which is your time with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. I think you've been there almost five years now, right? It's kind of a different organization than a lot of us, uh, you know, kind of from the more performing arts side, but you've also got a promoter angle there. You want to tell us a little bit about what's happening down in Atlanta? Yeah, for sure. So I work, uh, like you said, at the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, which is part of the Woodruff Art Center, which is the third largest art center in the country. So it's one of the few art centers that has both visual and performing art. So we have the High Museum of Art, which is the largest art museum in the South, and also the Alliance Theater, which does performances every year as part of our art center. So it's a really cool experience because you get all three. You get the art museum, the theater, and the symphony on the same campus. And the symphony, we're in our 75th year, or 76th year, actually. We celebrated 75 last year. And it's a really cool experience at the symphony because we basically have two main brands. So we have Delta Classical Concerts, which is our orchestra and, you know, the typical idea of, like, what a symphony is. But we also have a second brand, the Atlanta Symphony Hall Live brand. And that is our promoter, our in-house promoter. So we use Symphony Hall, which is an 1,800-seat venue, and um, we do music tours, we do plays, we do activities. We're, we're basically a promoter. So the two worlds like could not be more different between the promoter side and the typical classical side. And somehow I market both. Uh, so uh, no day is the same. Uh, it's, it's a lot, but I mean, it's, it, it keeps it exciting and it's a nonprofit. So it's like very mission driven. And so I like that part of it and I can apply things that I've learned from the promoter side into the classical side and vice versa. What is it that is unexpected or different from, you know, say working in an amphitheater setting? Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot on the classical side, it's definitely repertoire driven versus artist driven. And then having the symphony, that's our own, that's our own artist. So, you know, we can control their schedule and, you know, how we promote them and where and their appearances versus having to go to an agent. Basically, we're our own agent for the symphony. So it's really interesting. There's also a lot of education components. Um, We do a lot with children and, you know, schools and the community and nursing homes and just really being a community asset. It's cool. And then we started merging the two more, like we have a movies and concert series, which is really cool. It's one of our definitely most in-demand brands or um, products. And basically we take like Home Alone and we drop all the music out of the video. We play it on this like huge 75 foot screen 
and then the orchestra is on the stage and they play all the music from the movie while the movie's playing and people go oh, wild for it. I love that. We do Harry Potter, Star Wars, Home Alone, Jurassic Park, you know, all the big movies that have these scores. The movies like really come to life with the orchestra playing. So it's like a gateway drug, excuse me, um, into uh, <laughs> symphonies for people who've never been to the symphony. Sure. You know, this is their first experience, something so cool. So it's really cool. You know, here in Columbus, I know our, our symphony really had to pivot in this uh, past year. And I remember they did like almost like garden concerts where they would bring out a smaller version of the symphony. And then you had to sign up and sit outside and little pods. And there were like 50 people total. And they would do like a little 45 minute show and then take donations and stuff. So but I know you guys did some really creative stuff down there in Atlanta. So tell me what did 2020 look like for you guys? Yeah, it was really um, a challenging year and we had to get really creative. So initially in the spring from March until June, we canceled all of our concerts. So it was about $3 million in lost revenue for us, our lost anticipated revenue. And then our senior leadership and our board was like, yeah, we can't really do that for the fall. <laughs> so <laughs> we had to figure out, <laughs> you know, what do we do? Do we, do we shut down? How do we keep people engaged and, you know, stay part of the community? So we did a lot of experimenting. We did um, socially distanced outdoor concerts and like pods. We, we found this really cool community just south of the city called Serenby. And they had a field that they let us use. And we did a pod concert. We did a couple drive-in concerts in partnership with Live Nation. We filmed a lot of concerts in our hall with no audience. And then we started a virtual subscription and a virtual membership. And that's, you know, really been nice. our bread and butter for the fall. And we've retained like 99% of our subscriber base. And then we've added. That's awesome. I, I think you're, you know, again, hang on. I want to, I want to stop you there because that is blanking impressive. Right. Thank I think you. we are all struggling so much at this time. So to be able to do that and come up with those ideas and pivot like that, I think is just just truly amazing. So where did these ideas come from? Did you guys all just get on some Zooms and kind of talk? Is it, is it networking with with other folks around the country? Are we, I mean, we're all borrowing ideas from each other at this point. So yeah. how did you get to that point where you were able to go from that? Hey, we're kind of adrift out here to we're going to be proactive. You know, and how's that kind of happen in your in your situation? Yeah, I think our team is just really creative, and we bounce off each other ideas, and we we say, what is the feasibility of this? Like, how could we make it happen? You know, you see another city, something worked, something didn't work. And then we kind of discuss like, how could we localize that to where we are? I know our live team is are definitely our like venue and location and logistics, you know, they're gurus on that. So they, I know in Atlanta have communicated with over 40 different venues, trying to scout out which locations would work best. And, you know, how would this work in here and who do we know? And a lot of it is relationship building and um, strengthening. And we've done a really good job, I think, during this time where I think people expected us to be quiet and non-existent to, you know, really just being present in the community and growing these relationships and, and again, getting creative and making it work. Do you think you maybe even benefited from hitting pause from March to June because it sort of allowed you to collect and get your plan together and then you just hit the ground running really hard in the fall? Whereas maybe if you were scrambling a little bit, you would kind of be so worried about getting little things out that it might have been harder because you would have just been trying to sustain that. Whereas since you did pause, it sort of allowed you all to focus and say, OK, this is what we're going after and let's do it this fall and put everything into it. Yeah, I, I definitely think we benefited from that because all of this stuff takes time. You know, it's 
learning about the locations and learning how many people you could fit and getting your vendors aligned to, um, you know, build the stage or could the musicians be here at this time? Like there's no way that stuff happens overnight. So having a little bit of a break to pause for a second and then refocus, I think definitely benefit us. So if you had a chance to send an email back in time about six months to yourself, a work email, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's going to say, it's going to say, number one, hang in there, hang in there. It's going to get better. But number two, you know, uh, give yourself some tips. What are you going to tell yourself six months ago that you wish, you know, things that you know now that you wish you would have known then before you started this? Um, be patient. Don't expect everything that you do to be a home run because that's not realistic in anything. And I think in this industry, we breed a lot of perfectionists. That I'm pretty sure y'all can agree with that. Sure. Um, but, sure. you know, sometimes your ideas don't work and then you figure something else out and you try something new. So I think just don't be afraid to try things and to fail a little bit. And then, you know, you'll find the thing that works and you'll grow and expand on that. What's something you guys did that didn't work out? Because sometimes I think I always learn more from the stuff that doesn't go right. Yeah. yeah, I think one thing maybe we did a lot was we tried to do too many things at the same time. And so I think just spreading it out and realizing like you don't have to do everything at once. And like people just at this point, I think really appreciate the effort and the connection and, you know, being part of the community. And so I think just slowing down a little bit is good. On a personal note, burnout at this time is is real. So taking time for yourself and knowing when you need to pause, I think is really important. You make a good point, Dave, with uh, just a hit on that sort of failing thing. It's so true. You know, sometimes you do learn more from failing. And that was always something that I remember I would tell like interns I would have because they might be afraid to suggest things because Mm -hmm. they were afraid that those things were going to fail or that I might say, ooh, I don't think that's a great idea. But I would just tell them, come to me with every single idea. Like, you know, my approach or what I want you to do and what I try to do is think of 20 crazy ideas and maybe only one of those works, but that one idea is going to be amazing. And the other 19, it's not like you totally throw them away. You just retool them and you kind of, you know, okay, well, this didn't work on this or it's not going to work on this show, but let's put that in the back. And then, oh, we have this other concert coming up. Let's borrow this idea that we had for this other one. And I think this one will work here. So I love that culture of taking risks and not being afraid of failure. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, whenever you have management and a company that embraces that, it's so um, critical for growth and progression. Absolutely. I mean, for me, the the growth over the past year, just on multiple facets, I feel like I'm coming into my own more as well. One thing that I would definitely recommend to my past self is like, get a notebook. I mean, I'll show you all right here. This is my notebook of three things I learned from the drive-in and there's like seven things. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, you know, like these are, these are things that you can take with you and like, it's on the top of your mind when it happens, but maybe six months later, you don't really remember what you learned. So writing it down and having record is really important for me. Pick something off the drive-in page since it's right there in front of you, you know, in, the, in that magic <laughs> oh, notebook. Boy. Give me a specific, something you learned from the drive-in. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for more promotional money from the get-go. <laughs> yes. 
Well, hey, one of the other big uh, new things for you in 2020 was uh, your involvement with the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, uh, which we're all a part of. And there was uh, a lot of things happening in 2020, including a lot of the changes, uh, you know, across the country. One of the things that we thought important was, you know, what can we do as an organization? One of the things that we thought is it's overdue, but let's start a diversity and inclusion committee. And it was one of those things that when the conversation came up, I said, we're going to make this happen. And your hand was one of the first to go up and say, hey, mm-hmm. I'd like to be a part of this. So talk to me a little bit about why that was important for you. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, like I mentioned, this year has been really transformational for me in multiple ways. Um, I've really been trying to evaluate what is my impact or what is my personal legacy that I leave on the world and you know, how am I involved? How am I helping people? How am I growing? And so with all the the instances over the summer with, you know, social injustice, I really have found my voice in speaking up and, you know, advocating for others and recognizing my own privileges and how can I use those to help others. And I've been reading a lot of books. I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks, you know, podcasts, et cetera, and just really educating myself even more. And as a Black woman, I feel like I have a responsibility to speak up and also encourage others to speak up because without those sides and multiple people being involved, like change is not going to happen. Like it can't just come from one group of people. It has to be changed from everyone. And so how am I helping to elevate that message? And so being a part of this was, was a no brainer. Well, we, you know, definitely are looking to not just change the conference, but, you know, and again, it's a lofty goal, right? But how do we change the industry, right? And how do we create those opportunities, whether it's, you know, opportunities to attend the conference and network there or opportunities to break into the business and then grow within the business. I know you yourself, you know, that first year that you came to the conference, I think it was 2010, if I remember right, you know, it was something where you kind of did that on your own. Yeah, I I had a hard time really establishing my career from the beginning. And I was working part-time seasonal at Live Nation. And, you know, the conference kept coming up in my inbox and seeing it online. And I was like, I really want to go to this. And I just went, you know, I made it happen for myself. And I met a lot of really cool people. I actually met a venue and they like took me under their wing. I mean, I didn't know anybody and they were like, you know, eat dinner with us and they bought me dinner and, you know, drinks and we hung out and it was great networking, but there was like a lot of educational functions that I got out of being there. And I think just making that opportunity for myself was important, but I also realized, you know, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me there at the time. And I feel like representation really does matter. And I think being on this podcast was important to me also, because there maybe are other people who are interested in this industry that, you know, don't see a lot of people that look like them, or there are a lot of people that look like them, but they don't know about them. And so just being a little bit more visible and, you know, showing people that opportunities do exist. So if you can speak to a young black woman who is listening to this podcast, who somehow tripped across it and, you know, they saw your face and said, oh, wow, live entertainment and the symphony and, and that's a world I'd like to get into. What, what advice would you give them of, of the, the best ways to kind of get connected and, and get started in the industry? Yeah. I mean, Unfortunately, unfortunately, at the same time, this industry is a lot about who you know. So like, don't be afraid to introduce yourself to people and informational interviews are really important. You know, if there's a job you want to know more about, reach out to someone that does have it and ask questions. And that's, you know, the first way to learn. Another thing is get involved whatever way you can. My grad school internship was at Live Nation uh, in marketing. And I 
ended up having to cover the phones for the receptionist whenever she went on her lunch break. Let me tell you, I have never learned more in my life than during that job. You know, I learned which agent to answer the phone for, which agent to take a message, you know, who who knows who and what and when and where. And you learn about people and what they do. And that led to me getting the part-time seasonal job, which led to getting a full-time job, which led to dot, 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 dot down the line. That is golden advice right there. I mean, you know, because it's a, it's a job that you probably weren't excited to do, but yeah. you took something and made something out of it. I was terrified. Let me tell you, the first time I ever hung up uh, trying to transfer the phone, I freaked out. I was like, I'm going to get fired from an internship. Like, what is going on? But, you know, here I am, you know, 15 years later. (laughs) I think it's kind of, as you mentioned, too, if you're not afraid to reach out and try to make those connections. So while you did have this group that connected with you at your first EAMC, you also made that choice to go to EAMC for the first time on your own, on your own dime, right? So it's Mm -hmm. like you consciously were like, I'm going to be a part of this and I'm going to show up and I'm going to do what I can to try to use this conference to better myself and my career and, you know, really get the most out of it. So you took that first step. And then once you got there, then you networked with people. I mean, that's when I met you. That was also my first conference, which was in 2010. You know, you meet and network with all these people. And then sometimes other people reach out to you or they mentor you and stuff like that. But it is a little bit of a, you know, you have to be willing to reach out and do that sometimes and take that risk and get engaged. And I I think that's a really great testament to your, I don't know, your investment in your career and also just being willing to take that first step, which sometimes is really intimidating, but I think it's important. It was scary. That was the first time I'd ever traveled anywhere by myself. And like, now I'm like, let me go, you know, get on a plane by myself is like my favorite thing to do. And like, it started with the AMC, just so y'all know. (laughs) That's amazing. How about that? How about that? You made some great connections that you still uh, use as as a, for, you know, business resources, right? Yeah. At that conference, I actually met Amanda Blank, um, who works at the Fox Theater now, but she was at that then Phillips Arena. And I had applied for a job there. And, you know, I made it to the last round there because I met her and still have this relationship with her to this day. At EMC, EAMC, I'm sorry, um, in 2018, I believe, in Vegas, a lot of the Atlanta marketers really made a great connection and we formed this really small group and we still, you know, we pre-COVID went to lunch together. We have done Zoom meetings during COVID. We're a really great resource for each other now. And I think there's probably like eight, eight of us that, you know, stay in touch. And it really is about networking and building connections. We've done cross promotions together with different venues. I mean, it just, it's invaluable the relationships that you can build, but also the things that you learn in the different, you know, sessions as well. And the AMC at home sessions have been really great too, especially the drive-in session, you know, things that we're doing and that are relevant and how do you grow as a marketer? Because I think if you come and you don't grow, then you're going to just be stuck in the level you're at. But some of the ideas and relationships and things that we've grown are from challenging ourselves and expanding ourselves. Absolutely. And I love, you know, your your passion for, for social justice and the cause there we were talking about a little earlier. You mentioned, you know, you've been reading some books, uh, listening to some podcasts. Give me one. Give me a starter guide that you can share out there with the world or, or something that's even a little deeper, whatever. Give me something that our listeners can go and check out after mm-hmm. this podcast and help them learn a little bit. 
Yeah. So through my job, our senior team actually has a book club. And so we've been reading several different books. How to Be an Anti-Racist is one by Ibram X. Kendi that we just finished. We did Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me, which is a phenomenal testimony of a man raising a Black son. And it was the letters to his son. So it really gives you the first person experience that he has gone through. We're actually doing a video this time. We're going to do 13th, the documentary by Ava DuVernay. It's just that those are a few starter points, but there are so many resources. If you want to learn, you can. Well, we are glad to have you on our Diversity and Inclusion Committee, and uh, I'm glad to have you here today. Let's let's take a step back for a minute to, I don't know, maybe back to 2004, when you are a, a student at, at Georgia State University. Yeah. Did you know what you wanted to do? Did you have a clear vision of, kind of someday I want to be this woman? I think I've always known the direction. So I did music management with my minor, and I did journalism, public relations. I've always been a better writer than speaker. I mean, by far. <laughs> um, so that was what I really focused on. I always knew I wanted to be in the entertainment industry. I'm a lover of pop culture. I think when I was a child, like my goal was to be the producer of the Grammys. Like, I mean, uh, I'm not too far off, but I'm definitely There's not still close. time. There's still time. I know people. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I want that job anymore. Right, they need some help. They need some help. Um, <laughs> but um, I always knew this was definitely my lane. I just didn't know how I would get here. And going to grad school at SCAD, I really had to you do a lot SCAD, of- that's uh, Savannah College Art and Design? Savannah College of Art and Design, yes. I did arts administration, same thing. I knew this was this was the field. I just didn't really know how. And I had a lot of graduate internships and one of them was at Live Nation. And I just, I mean, I fell in love. I fell in love with the industry. I fell in love with the feelings you feel when I worked at Lakewood Amphitheater, 18,000 seat venue. And just the feeling of 18,000 people all in one place for the same reason and getting the same like emotional experience like i mean there's nothing like i miss it so much oh my gosh those chills yeah i mean it's crazy and all kinds of you know genres of music it doesn't matter but people are are connected and so i think it's that human connection that i'm attracted to and i get a rush off of and live events definitely has always been my my jam but i tried for a couple years doing sports uh, live events and sports. I went, worked for the Women's Tennis Association for about two years in business development. So that was a good opportunity to do something a little different. You did that, down in, you did that out in Florida, right? So that took you out of Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah, I was in St. Pete. Um, I've actually been out of Atlanta twice. I was in St. Augustine at the St. Augustine Amphitheater for almost three years. The most beautiful venue I have ever been to. Great people, great town that's really invested in the It experience. is a cool city. It is a very cool city. It's it's pretty phenomenal. I still have friends. I went last year and saw Trevor Noah at the amphitheater who I, awesome. Trevor Noah is yeah. my ultimate celebrity crush. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was really nice to go back there. But that, that venue is just, it's leaps and bounds. One of my favorites. And then- I was in St. Petersburg with the WTA for a couple of years and we worked on tournaments all across the world, which is really a different pace for me, but it was really good, great experience, a lot on partnerships, business development, again, those relationships that are super important and all of those things that I learned in both places helped me in my job now. So 
are you from Atlanta? Like, did you grow up in Atlanta or, or where, what's sort of your earlier days? Like, did you, I, I, I'll, I'll gush on Atlanta for a minute. So I have family in Alpharetta and kind of scattered in that area, but I used to come down to Atlanta or greater Atlanta every single summer of my childhood. Mm -hmm. And I would come visit with them and we would go to Whitewater, which I don't even know if that place exists anymore, the water park. And (laughs) we would go to the Braves games before when it was in the old stadium, even before the Olympics. And then they obviously built the field for the Olympics that they ended up using. But I mean, I was this huge Braves fan. I played baseball. I became this massive Atlanta Braves fan. I came down for the Olympics with my family. I just love that city. It's so, you know, it's a big city like a Houston or like a LA or other stuff, but it feels like I don't know. It's just, there's something about it that I think is unique. Maybe it's because it has more of that Southern hospitality in some ways than some of those other large metros do, but it's, it's just so wonderful. I love Georgia. I love Atlanta. My sister, I'm I'm not trying to just plug my family here, I swear, but my sister actually (laughs) uh, teaches at SCAD now. uh, And so she's in Georgia. So I've got these people, I've got two interns of mine that are now also living in Georgia, in Savannah, who are working in, wow. you know, TV and stuff. So I, I feel like there is some gravitation to that state. And what is it about Georgia and Atlanta? Like, what do you love about that city and that state? So I actually grew up in Savannah, uh, about four hours south of Atlanta. Beautiful, very charming, old Southern city. Really great place, I think, to retire great place to have children, raise children, which I have neither of those. And Atlanta definitely has a gravitational pull to me when I was figuring out where I wanted to finish college, because I did not start in Atlanta, but where I wanted to finish college, I was between Athens, University of Georgia and Georgia State. And I literally to this day can tell you the day that I was driving into Atlanta, the first time I was driving by myself, I like turned this corner And I like saw the skyline and trees and like goosebumps all up and down my arm. And I was just like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And ever since then, Atlanta has always told me. And so I've left twice, like I mentioned, but I always come back. It's definitely my root and my home. That's not to say that I'll be here forever, but there's definitely a special place in my heart for Atlanta. You never have to wonder what there is to do. There is always something to do. There's so many different cultures and experiences. And, you know, from this side of town to Buford Highway, you can have international food from any country you can think of. Downtown, underground has gone through a couple of different experiences. Uh, Midtown, which is where I live in West Midtown, but like Midtown is where I work. And that's just a completely different center. I mean, it's just, it's a city that is for everyone. And, you know, they say all the time, Atlanta is the city too busy to hate. You know, there's a lot of different experiences and people and history. (laughs) And I mean, it's just, it is such a phenomenal city. Like I, I'm so proud to live here and proud to represent the city and love, love, love Atlanta. (laughs) What's the entertainment scene like in Atlanta? You know, obviously you've got a lot of venues there, but what's the general feel right now? I mean, not right now, but let's say, let's say pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, it's a touring center. You know, everyone wants to come here. It is a, a music and culture hub. We're easily accessible by having a lot of highway access. So everyone wants to stop here. We're top 10 major markets. There's a lot of radio, TV, different ways to promote. I mean, it's just, it's a great place. And a lot of 
big companies and Fortune 500s, the film industry, I mean, everybody knows how many major films are now filmed in Atlanta. It's just absolutely so much going on. I mean, something for everyone. I think on a music side too, you all have such a large selection of various size venues from the top to the bottom. And all types of venues, which you hope for in any big city, you know, you have these kind of small clubs to historic theaters like the Fox to massive arenas like State Farm Arena. And you have big stadiums, you know, like I went to one of the, what is it, Atlanta FC or Atlanta United? Atlanta United. Atlanta United. I went to Atlanta United game there. This was last time I was in Atlanta two years ago. And it was an awakening experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. I, I, you know, I've been in stadiums and the stadium itself was one thing, but we went and they were playing the, I think it was the Sounders from Seattle, which is a pretty big club. We went to this game and I was like, I just want to go. I want to see the stadium. That's why, you know, my mission to go to it was just yeah. like, I want to see the stadium. But then I went with my cousin and brought my nephew with me and they were kind of wanting to see the match. We went, it was sold out 71,000 people. It broke the MLS yeah. record. It basically made me think yeah. soccer has arrived in America. Like there's this groundswell, but if you can sell out a football stadium to that capacity, I mean, it just shows you, too, that there is that engagement in that community and sports and music and culture. And it is I mean, I just feel like I've seen concerts there in clubs. It's just it's a great, ripe environment for entertainment. Yeah. uh, Let me tell you, Atlanta United has done the marketer's dream of like really cultivating a culture that permeates the city. And like, I think because it was a brand new club and people could feel that ownership, like, you know, this is the first time and I'm a member from the ground up. They're super invested. I mean, no shade. Cause I am literally the biggest Falcons fan. The last couple of years have been pretty rough, I'm so um, sorry. <laughs> but going to a Falcons game and going to United game, two completely different experiences, the chance, the energy, the engagement. I mean, it's something I've never seen as, you know, being a marketer for 15 years. And that's the goal. That's the dream to have people that invested in what you're doing and your culture and your environment. And they're going to keep coming back. So props to Atlanta United for sure. Uh, you talk about, you know, being in marketing for all these years, right? So, and you spent some, some time with Live Nation and in this era where people are often looking at potentially pivoting their career, right? Maybe they've been working at a venue for so long and now they're looking at something. What is it that you took from your Live Nation experience that helped you when you worked for, you know, the women's tennis or even with the symphony now? Yeah, I mean, that was the very beginning of my career. And I had the opportunity to do a lot of things and learn a lot of things. I spent most of my time at Lakewood Amphitheater and planning meet and greets and, you know, entry and radio setups and escorting photographers, you know, all the typical marketing functions. But all of those things really helped me to understand the scope of the business and to understand maybe I don't, I'm not a production person, but like, interacting with the production team and learning kind of how they worked. I mean, it was just, that was a lesson in how a venue operates. I was a marketing assistant and I was also the general manager's assistant as well. The lovely Akeisha Branch, um, who's still to this day, one of my best friends and biggest mentors and cheerleaders and counselors and all that. (laughs) Um, And she taught me a lot and she wanted me to learn a lot. And so she made me do a lot of things. <laughs> I tried to always have a smile on my face, but um, yeah, I, I learned a lot and absorbed it and, you know, have taken that 
that with me everywhere I've gone. That's very cool. Well, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up today is I know you also volunteer with a group called Cool Girls, Inc. Tell me about Cool Girls and, and why volunteering is so important for you. Yeah, so I started volunteering with Cool Girls actually in college as part of an African-American studies class that I was taking in undergrad. And it really stuck with me because we went out to an elementary school in you know a disadvantaged area and we help the kids after school with their homework. You don't realize the impact you can have on people and what their home life might be like. And just as much as showing up and helping someone with their homework, some of those kids were so appreciative. And whenever you came in the door, they came running and hugging. And like, it really just kind of let you know the impact that you had on their lives. And so as I was growing in my career, I didn't take as much time to help others and really make an impact. And I think I'm at a point now where I can. And so like I have tried to increase my impact and started mentoring girls again. And I actually just signed up to be Big Brothers Big Sisters so I could do like a year long mentorship uh, with an individual. So, you know, it's just, I know I can't help everyone in the world, but if I could help one person, then that's what I want to do. So uh, yeah, that's uh, my experience and just trying to, help one person at a time is really important. And this year for Martin Luther King Day, we did a service challenge the first time that EAMC has done that. And, you know, it's just to encourage people. I think some people need a reminder and a lot of us are competitive. So it's like, hey, what if we challenge you to do it? See how many people we can get involved. We should get the results back of how many hours any day now. So I'm really looking forward to sharing that with everybody. In this day and age, right, where everybody is so eager to post the right thing on social media and and encourage others to say or do you know the right thing, if we spend as much time actually volunteering and trying to making a difference in those communities that that need the help, that it would it was such a great thing. And and you telling your story there about just you know going in and having that experience just it actually gave me chills. And I, I, I it, the world is better for people people like you. And I'm just I'm grateful for that. So thank you for what you're doing and talking to us here today. I really do appreciate that. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. We talked about what happened in 2020 with the uh, symphony, but what about 2021? Very uh, Nobody knows the answer to this one, right? But <laughs> as of right now, where are we heading? Um, we are, we've reconfigured our spring season to be all virtual. We're doing some research for outdoor events for the spring. So, you know, want to try that again, hoping that the situation improves. We know a lot of other venues are starting to do more events. So we want to set ourselves up in the best position to be able to do that. We are planning for our fall season. We'll launch that towards the end of the spring. And the goal is to be in person. But, you know, obviously that'll change depending on what the conditions are. Some of our live performances, we've rescheduled until late fall. Um, and into 2022. It's crazy to even say 2022, but we have postponed some of those into 2022. But as soon as we're able, you know, we want to, we want to go. I mean, people miss that connection and that live experience and being able to leave your house. I live by myself and like, I just have to go outside and go see my neighbors or, you know, do something because I've missed human beings. You know, it's, it's hard, but, um, the one thing that does connect a lot of people is our live experiences, live music, live sports, and we'll be ready to go as soon as we can. You mentioned, you know, living there by yourself. What have you done to keep yourself aside from work? What have you done, you know, and you're volunteering all your good stuff. What have you done for you? What are you doing selfishly to keep yourself sane? Going on walks a lot outside is really important. Change of scenery is really good. 
this past weekend, I was like, I need to get out of my house. I got in my car. I drove to some random church outside in South Carolina called Pretty Place. It was like six hours of driving for like a 15 minute experience. But it was just like, I need to get out. And like on the way there, I listened to podcasts. I've been listening to so many audiobooks. I love hearing in people's voice, their story. Like I've listened to Jessica Simpson's. I really want to listen to Mariah Carey's. Elaine Welteroff, More Than Enough has been the best book I have heard in a really long time. I mean, it's just connecting with yourself is kind of really important. And then spending time with my family where I'm able, my dad, he's immunocompromised. So we've all been really careful. And the couple of times I've seen him, you know, we've all worn masks the whole time. We try to stay outside, we eat outside, you know, but being with family is really important. I have two eight-year-old nieces who are my favorite people. (laughs) Um, And so spending time with them and you just have to make time for yourself and turn it off, turn off the phone, turn off the email and enjoy life and enjoy the people that love you. Amen. Amen to that. You're great. You said you were better at uh, writing uh, than speaking. I would love to read your writing Aww. if you're actually better than that. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Thank you. So we like to wrap things up with the, the fast five. We have five quick questions okay. we're going to ask you. Uh, no real uh, need to think about it. Just give me the first answer that comes to mind. Here we okay. go. Your, your first concert. My first concert I went to was 98 Degrees. My first concert I worked with Paramore. How about Ooh. your favorite concert? So there's a lot there. So Sarah Bareilles was my favorite artist of all time. Anything right. Beyonce, Beyonce, Jay-Z on the run tour was, I mean, I sang for like four hours and Adele. <laughs> How about the oh, nicest yeah. artist you've ever met? Chris Martin from Coldplay. Favorite venue that you haven't worked at? Um, Wolf Trap. What is the song that when you, there's a TV show all about your life, right? And uh, the opening credits play and a little montage of you doing all your good stuff around the world. What's the theme song for your show? Uh, Formation by Beyonce. <laughs> Formation. <laughs> Love it. We're so glad to have you on the podcast uh, with us today. Thank you for sharing uh, your adventures. If somebody wanted to reach out to you to uh, connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you these days? Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. I mean, I'm on social media. I have a Twitter, but so, you know, okay, here's one thing. Twitter is very entertaining and I like a lot of things. I think it's really important to be who you are fully. And so maybe some things I like are not appropriate, but Twitter uh, is one thing. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter is the devil. <laughs> uh, now, how about, how about for Atlanta Symphony Orchestra? If somebody wants to uh, follow along there, what's the uh, best place to find uh, Atlanta Symphony Orchestra on social? At Atlanta Symphony on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of the above. And we just launched our new ASO.org experience literally this week. Our friends at Carbon House, who we also met at EAMC, we just launched our site this week with them. And uh, we've been working on it for over a year and we're really proud of it. I mean, just phenomenal experience, start to finish and a great site. So that's another thank you EAMC thing. Right. Those connections. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I want to do thank everybody uh, for listening to uh, today's episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paula Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>